good morning. Let's stand all over the house this morning. Let's sing together this old hymn of the church, Jesus Hold My Hand.
prayer. We're going to ask the ushers if they would at this time to make their way uh, to receive our tithes and offerings. And then uh, we'll do our meet and greet right after that. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you today. We glorify your name. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are someone that will hold our hands no matter what we're going through. God, your hand is in ours and you will lead us, God, and protect us. Lord, as we get ready to segue to a different portion of our services today, Lord, I pray you would bless these tithes and offerings. You would bless those that have to give and those that do not. If there's someone here today who cannot give for whatever reason, I pray at some point you would bless them so they can give back to show their love and devotion to you. Father, today I pray that every amount that is taken today would be used for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We will forever give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God together said amen. 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 Let's come together and greet each other in the Lord. today. We're so glad to have you here. I love to hear the buzz and the chatter and fellowship together this morning. As you're making your way uh, to your seats, just a couple of things. I'm uh, going to give a couple housekeeping items and then I will uh, give you some prayer requests before those coming to lead scripture and prayer. We'll be doing that here momentarily. Uh, don't forget tonight is, uh, is our snack night. Uh, we want you to be a part of that. Make sure you get your kids from Children's Church tonight, right after church. Though we always have snack night on the last Sunday of the month where we just save you from having to go spend money at Huddle House or at Zaxby's or whatever else. We just hang out together after church. And so you don't want to miss that. It's free food. It's free fellowship. 
Uh, you know, most of the time there's more than enough food. We send plates home. It's a good time in the Lord. Uh, various people bring all kinds of stuff from chicken salad to meatballs to chicken wings to, you know, vegetable trays and, and uh, all kinds of stuff, desserts and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I bring myself and my stomach. That's typically what I bring. Uh, uh, my wife brings something, but I just bring me. That's what I bring. Uh, and it's always served me well, still is to this day. Uh, but uh, so make sure you mark that. Uh, those of you that are part of our leadership training, you uh, probably already received letters, but just remind you it's this Saturday. Easter egg extravaganza is on the horizon. I looked at my calendar yesterday and I thought, boy, it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer. So we're still collecting all kinds of stuff. We do not need hot dog buns. We have that covered. I'm, I'm good with buns. But if you want to bring individual bag chips or the little hugs drinks for the kids or candy and more candy and more candy and even more candy we'll take that we will love candy uh and so that's coming up 11 to 1 there is a sign up sheet in the back for both uh what you're willing to uh, uh bring but also uh if you want to help uh in any way capacity because you know we can always use extra people there's never enough workers there's just never are yeah i don't care if everybody says they'll work that's great we can use everybody so make sure you uh make sure you're aware of that Sunrise service is coming up. I'll get more information next week, but it's going to be at 7 a.m. at the Tailrace uh, Dock uh, there uh, here in town uh, for Easter Sunday. Then we'll have our regular Easter Sunday service. Uh, next Sunday, there'll be a sign-up sheet in the uh, Welcome uh, Connection Center area. Uh, if you're coming to Sunrise Service and you'd like to eat breakfast with us, uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to sign up and tell us what biscuits and things you like to eat so that we can have it here at the church when Sunrise Service is over. If you don't tell us, you better bring your own breakfast because I didn't get you any. So you might want to sign up next week if you're going to be there for that. Um, had a great time yesterday with our uh, Pillars Ministry. Uh, it was a great time in the Lord. Uh, but April 22nd will be our next one. It will be here at the Fellowship Hall. Uh, we're going to do some fun stuff here. We're going to cook for you that day. You're just going to come and eat, but we're going to cook for you that day. And uh, Brother Randy's going to let me borrow some of his coffee pots in the back. Uh, we're going to have a good time, and we're just going to do it right here, fellowship together uh, right here. If you are over the age of 50, not 55, but 50, you are eligible to go to Senior Adult Retreat. They lowered the age. I don't know why, but they lowered the age. So guess now you're a senior if you're 50. I don't know uh, how that works. But uh, 50 years old and older can go to the Senior Adult uh, Retreat. It's May the 26th and 27th. There will be a sign-up sheet of information in the next couple weeks out there. We always pay for your registration. So if you sign up and say, Pastor, I want to go to Senior Adult Retreat, I will pay for you to go. You just have to help me with your hotel. So if you put four, if with the hotel's $100 and four of you want to stay together, you only have to pay $25 to go. If you're like my mother who doesn't stay with nobody and doesn't want to stay with me and my dad half the time, she'd pay $100 just so she don't have to be bothered by nobody. So... Your call. I don't know. It's your, however many people you want to be friends with will determine how much your cost is for that. Uh, but Friday night, they feed us there. You don't even have to leave the campsite or campground. They feed us there. Saturday, we'll eat lunch before we come home. That'll really be your only meals that you have to worry about or not even worry about that we take care of other than Saturday lunch. We'll eat breakfast at the hotel uh, that morning before we head out. Dr. Tim Hill, or excuse me, uh, Barney Fife will be with us on Friday afternoon. He's coming all the way from Mayberry. He'll be with us on Friday afternoon. On Friday night, Dr. Tim Hill will be doing a Gaither-style concert series uh, there uh, on Friday night, uh, him and some people he'll, I guess, have with him or whatever. And then on Saturday, 
the Hoppers will be there doing a gospel singing after they play all their, you know, let's make a deal, punch a block, punch a hole, whatever it is, get all this money and free giveaways. Most of the time, uh, it's a good event. We have a lot of fun. We end up eating donuts, the Krispy Kreme. Hey, you can't you can't make this stuff up. It's great. So uh, make sure you're aware of that. Uh, all of those watching online, you can always subscribe to our podcast here, our services for all our online guests. We want to welcome you to church today. We're so glad to have you. Any of the things I just mentioned to you are on the church website, so you are more than welcome to pay attention to that. To anybody that is a guest today, we are so glad to have you and hope that you will uh, make plans to come again soon. Uh, before we segue to scripture and prayer, I'm going to ask those leading scripture and prayer to go ahead and be making their way. Uh, but want to pray for a couple uh, requests today. Uh, Sister Ashley Harley woke up uh, with some uh, severe pain, not migraine, but some severe pain. And so she's she's uh, right at home right now, and she's not doing too terribly good. And she asked for prayer. Uh, she's in a mess right now and uh, needing a touch uh, from the Lord. Continue to pray for Brother Stan and Miss Brenda. I know they are here today, but uh, he recently... Uh, just we just uh, celebrated his sister's homegoing service uh, this past week, but we want to continue to pray for that family and just that the Lord would touch them and bless them. There are others, uh, Madison, Mason, are out of town today due to a, a school event, so that's where they are, and Brother Corey and all them. But they'll be traveling back later today, so pray for them for all that to be smooth and everything to work out there. And so there's a lot of little stuff happening around here, but God is good. Amen. He's good. So we're going to ask Brother Marion. He's going to come lead us in scripture and prayer. But if you'll just pray along with him when he calls on us to pray together, we'd appreciate it. God bless you. Praise the Lord. First John, second chapter, verse 15. John says, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he, I'm going to put emphasis in that, but he that doeth the will of the Father, God abideth forever. Praise the Lord. I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer. God is good. Thankful to be among God's people. Thankful to be in church today. I don't know any other better place I'd rather be. Um, let us pray. Remember these requests as we pray. Father, again, we're thankful always for your love and your grace. Lord, we ask that you would touch and move, Lord, upon every request that's been mentioned today, Lord. Father, again, we're thankful, Lord, that we can come to your house, worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Father, we just pray you have your way, have your will. Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise. For in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand all over the house this morning. I take that back. Miss Sherry's going to come sing. I'm ready to just sing worship. So you can be seated here for a moment. She's going to come lead us this morning uh, in, a, in an old song here, a, a favorite. And so we're going to ask you to worship with her this morning. Yeah. 
God today, church. Amen. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Lord, our heart's desire is just to be close to you, just to feel your presence in our lives. God, we ask that you would inhabit the praises of your people and make residency in this house with us today. Nothing is more important than your presence. Nothing is more important than having a relationship with you. So, Lord, that's our prayer today. As we declare, oh, I want to be
Father, Lord, we just come before you right now in a heart of worship. God, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God, today I stand before in the presence of your people and in your presence before the throne room of heaven. Decree and declare there is no strength, there is no one mightier, there is no one stronger than Jehovah God, the God of whom we serve. God, your blood still reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. It still changes. It still chastises. It still convicts. It still saves the lost soul. But it's not about anything we did, but it's all about what you did on Calvary's cross. Fathers, we get ready here in just a moment to unfurl and break the bread of life. Pray today that you would let our eyes, hearts, and ears be open and hear what thus saith the word of Almighty God has to say in our midst today. Father, we are quick to, to quick to give you the praise and the glory and the honor that is due your name. The people of God together said amen. Amen. You can be seated momentarily in the presence of the Lord if you can. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Judges, chapter number 4. The book of Judges, chapter number 4. While you're turning there, we are in the Easter season. We are, for the next couple weeks, going to be in Easter I always try to find a, a twist or a turn or some way to retell the Easter story. Easter and Christmas are a lot alike in the sense that there's only so many ways you can tell how he got birthed. There's only so many ways you can tell how he died. And there's only so many ways you can say he got up. The story's still the same. He was born. He died. He didn't stay dead. He got up. You know, that's, that's about the gist of the story in a quick nutshell. There's different ways we always try to think of a creative way, but that's the gist of the message of Easter, Christmas together. You can't have Easter without Christmas. What we, we know is what we celebrate, the reason for Christmas. I'm not talking about December 25th. I'm talking about the idea of Christ coming. He doesn't come. There is no death. There is no burial. There's no resurrection. There's no ascension. There's no coming again. There, it's a different story. And I've thought of things I, I have talked through, Endless Love, here in the month of, of February and March, early part of March, and I was thinking about Easter, and I thought, you know, there is no one that ever displayed better love than Jesus. In fact, Jesus goes on record to say, no greater man, no greater love is any man than one who is willing to lay down his life for his friend. That's Jesus' response, and he did just that. He laid down his life. So then I started thinking about all these things about Easter, and I went back and looked through the annuals and things that I had preached over the years at various places around the Easter season and series and all these different things, and I kept getting drawn to the idea of the nails. I'll tell you a couple weeks ago uh, that on Sunday of Easter, we're going to come in metaphorically nail our stuff to the cross. We're going to nail our anxiety, our depression, our marriage, our finances. We're going to nail them, if you will, with push pins. We're going to put them back on the cross so that we can let only what the cross can accomplish, accomplish what it can do. But the idea, I've been on this idea, and so for the next three weeks, I'm going to be on a series called Nailed. It's not really complicated. We're going to talk about being nailed or the idea of nailed. You see, in most of the Roman crucifixes, a lot of times they didn't really nail them. They tied them with rope. The idea was they wanted them to suffer for as long as they could. Then they'd come by and they'd break their legs so they couldn't push up to get oxygen in their lungs and over time basically suffocate to death. 
Jesus was nailed, as in physical nails to a board to the cross, which created blood flow to come out of his veins, out of his feet, all through his body, all, multiple parts of his body, his back, his flesh, his brow. There are so many different places the blood of Jesus was represented and felt. You know, some of us in our lives, we have felt like people have crucified us. They've crucified our reputation. They've crucified our marriages. They've crucified our jobs. They've crucified our families. They've crucified our church. They've crucified all kinds of things, and they have nailed us. And they have, they have beat us down, and they have caused us to metaphorically bleed out with hurts and emotions that we can't even put into words anymore. There are many people that don't go to church right now because of somebody in the church that crucified them at church. Hello? The world didn't crucify them. We did. We did. One day, the blood's going to be on those people's hands one day that did that. And so I started thinking about this. Well, I was like, well, God, if I start writing on the crucifixion, I, I kind of bypass Palm Sunday. That takes away the idea of Palm Sunday. And then... I already put him on the cross before we get to the cross. He hadn't even really, I don't want to preach on the cross, go back to him riding into Jerusalem to go back to the tomb. I didn't want to get the story out of, out of whack. Then I remembered years ago that I had a story that I had heard when I was a kid in a Sunday school class, and I thought, this is the baddest story I have ever heard. You know, for some of y'all, Daniel in the lion's den was pretty cool. You know, big roaring lions, roar, and, you know, drops in the lion's den, nothing happens. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, see, I'm like, you know, a little more morbid, I guess. I don't know. I like crime shows. I like murder mysteries. I'm like NCIS, Criminal Minds. I don't care if their guts and stuff's on the road. It doesn't bother me at all. I don't care if they autopsy them. I don't think they care. I don't care how they break the ribs. Just just let me see the autopsy. I want to I mean, I, I don't want to see it in real life. But in the TV show, it looks awesome. It's cool. I'm excited. You know, I was like, man, let's see who happens. I can't find out who found out who killed the person, who did this. It's all this cool stuff. Well, this story we're about to unfurl today, it's not your normal story. It's pretty rad. It's pretty cool. I should have saved this for Mother's Day, but um, I don't really know if I want a lot of moms to follow this protocol, so I don't know if this would be a really good Mother's Day service. Hey, Mom, go nail your kids. No, I don't think I want to do that. That's not what I'm after today. But this is a pretty rad story, so let's look at it together. We're going to be in Judges chapter 4, verse 8. We'll start in verse 8. If you have it, you stand for the reading of God's Word, and then we'll go into this together. Verse 8 and 9, and then we'll, we'll read some more later, and, and we'll bring it to your attention. This is what the word of the Lord says. And then Barak said unto her, who's her? Excuse me, her is Deborah, the prophet of God. He said to her, if you, Deborah, go with me, then I'll go do what God said for me to do. But if you don't go with me, I will not go. What he's really saying, we'll talk about this here in a minute. What he's really saying is, I'm afraid to go by myself. I know you said God said this could happen. Deborah, I know you said God said for you to come find me to deliver the people of Israel out of bondage from the king of Canaan. I know you said me, but I just don't know if I'm the right man for the job. So I'm not going unless you go. If I'm going to die on this hill, you're going to die with me. Anybody ever had somebody like that? I'm not dying alone. You're going to die with me if we're going to do this thing. We're going to take the golf cart over the hill and through the woods to Grandmama's house, and it's going to get trucked. I'm not going to be the only one that's responsible when we break this thing. You're going to go with me so we both get our butts whipped when we break this thing. I'm not dying on this hill alone. So Deborah said, all right, I'll go with you. But because of your lack of faith, 
Because you don't trust God enough, nevertheless, there will not be any glory for you, meaning you're not going to get the accolades of being the one that accomplished this task. In fact, the Lord will sell or give Sisera, which we'll find out here in a moment, was the captain of the army of Canaan, into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah got up, went with Barak to Kadesh. What she's saying is, God was going to let you get the credit and basically let you be promoted. But because you didn't trust him, you're going to miss out on what God had for you. Too many people have missed out on what God had for them because they just wouldn't do what God asked them to do. God had stuff for them, but they missed out because they said they didn't want to do it. So today I want to talk about this idea. When you got him pegged, when you got him pegged. Now, for some of you ladies in the room, you would probably be, this would be a good moment for you to say amen, because most of you know how your husbands are. You could say, I got him pegged. I know what TV, I know what time he wants the TV to turn on. I know what his favorite beverage is. I know when he comes home, how long he has to be at home before I can talk to him. I know what his hobbies are. I know when the basketball game is on or the baseball game is on. Don't talk to him. Nothing's going to get accomplished in that two-hour block. You know them. So you got him pegged. You notice I didn't say when you got her pegged, because ain't nobody in human history ever figured that part out yet. Nobody. I have all learned to learn already that there is the only the reason God says for us to stay married and to get married is because it's going to take a man a lifetime to figure that girl out. And once he thinks he's figured her out, she changes the game. So he really don't know anymore again. So you can't put a sermon when you got her pegged because ain't no man ever pegged her. And there's nowhere in Scripture where a woman got pegged. But we're about to find out there was a Scripture where a man got pegged in the Bible. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach your word to the people of God. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Anoint these lips of clay. And Lord, let it take a coal from the altars of heaven and, and allow me to speak the unadulterated word of God. Father, let us not be hearers of the word only, but doers thereof likewise. And we will be careful to forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name. And together, the people of God say amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have lived long enough, you have probably heard somebody at some point in life say, Oh, they sure got that person pegged. They sure got them pegged. They know exactly. What are they referring to? What are they, what are they meaning? What they're saying is, is that they know how the other person thinks or feels or acts. It's like they understand the way someone is and what makes them up. So when someone says, Oh, man, you got brother so-and-so pegged, what they're saying is you know exactly how brother so-and-so is and what makes him who he is, you know. Uh, people that are, are uh, you know, that, that are, uh, can mimic other people or can, can you know, when I was a little kid, uh, you know, I used to you know, imitate preachers I'd see. And I would, I would see them preach at church or I would see them do a thing. And I thought to myself, well, if they can do that, I can do that. How hard is that? And so as like four or five-year-old kid, I'd watch our pastor preach and preach every Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then after church on Sunday night, I thought, well, I can do that. So I'd put my microphone behind my back. And I'd get like this, and I'd just start dancing. I'd run down the aisle at the church until my mama caught me. But until she didn't catch me, I'd just keep going like this. And I thought, I can be the preacher. Lo and behold, I didn't know that was going to happen one day. I guess that's God's punishment to me for making fun of that guy. But I had him pegged. I knew how he was. Because my pastor, when I was a little kid, when the service would get going real good, and he'd get to preaching, he knew he wasn't, you know, if you, listen, I just want to go on record here. I love Dr. David Jeremiah. I listen to him. I love, now there are things that, you know, we may disagree, but I love listening to his teaching. I love teaching. But I didn't go to Dr. David Jeremiah's church. I need a little more life in service. You know, there's nothing wrong, you know, with people who go to those churches. But I, I don't want to sleep. I want to stay awake during church. And, 
And I can listen to Dr. James Jeremiah when I'm driving. That keeps me. But if I sit down in my chair at the house and listen to him, I fall asleep about 8.15. It's not that he, he has this sultry voice that just puts me at ease. He is like, in the book of Revelation, John the Revelator spoke about a city builder and maker of and I don't remember the rest of what he said after that. That was it. That's all I got out of that sermon. I had to go back and read Revelation again because I don't remember the rest of the story. Now, some people, you know, my wife says, I don't, you know, she's not big on the, the screamo preacher. She says, if the guy literally thinks he's about to, to pass out, he's blood red, and he's full of exhaustion, and he's about to have a coronary heart attack, I'm more concerned about his medical side of things. I don't hear God. I hear, oh, God, heart attack. That's what I hear in my head. She's a nurse. So, so she's a little bit different. And so I remember as a kid, he, my, my pastor as a kid didn't stand there and go, now ladies and gentlemen, God said, no, he'd get excited. But you could always tell when our pastor was really going to get going because he became the hunchback of Notre Dame. It was like his back broke. It was like he was a wreck and he's just preaching and he's just going. And then all of a sudden, it was as if he realized you're more anointed the lower you get to the ground. And he just bent over and he just got right into you. He'd come down, he'd get right down the aisle, he'd just bend over, and he'd throw his hand behind his back, and he'd just start going. And you thought, oh, God, don't strike me dead. He's anointed now. The first part of his sermon wasn't really God. Now God's here. It was like, it was like a light switch went on. That was, that's how you knew. And he would, he would preach. And so I would make, you know, mimic that, if you will. And people used to say when I was a kid, oh, Pastor, uh, Mr., uh, Brother Jonathan, or that name, they just called him Jonathan. They said, Jonathan sure has Pastor Fox pegged. He knows exactly how to be just like him. He's got him pegged. You've heard people talk about that. We mean What we mean is we know how they think or how they are or what makes them to be who they are. Obviously, we were in a series I just told you we were starting called Being Nailed or the idea of nailed or what was accomplished on Calvary's cross. You see, the things that happened at Calvary were done so that the, the, the plans of the enemy would not come to fruition like the enemy wanted them to be. And I started looking at how we could start this, and so I remembered this story in the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges... It was a unique time period in the Israeli historical part of time. It was a nature, it was a literally a, 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 a season of cyclical patterns. They just kept doing the same thing over and over. They were like in a spiritual roundabout. For those of you there on Wednesday night, you heard me talk about the, the roundabouts, about how some people say, oh, well, I, you know, when God saved me, he, he, he did a 360 in my life. And I thought, gosh, that's really sad. God did that for you. Because if you do a 360, you're going the same way you were. So if you're a sinner and God gave you a 360, he sent you back to sin. That's a really bad job on God's part. He needs to do a 180. So if you're going the wrong direction, you'll turn and go the right direction. You know, it's just, you know, simply, you know, simple driving skills. I live in Cane Bay, so we have roundabouts. If you don't exit one of them, you will get vertigo. Because you're going to just go round and round and round. Because it's a circle. It never ends. It just doesn't. And the reality of it is, this is what Israeli history was during the time of the judges. Israel would be serving God. Then they would be allured by the temptation of nations that served other gods. Then they'd fall into idolatry. Then they would be overtaken and placed into captivity and slavery of that nation. Ultimately, they'd get enough of it. They'd cry out to God with repentance. If you were in Brother Randy's Sunday school class this morning, you'll know that you can sometimes say all the right words you want to say, but after a while, God's like, you really don't mean what you say because you keep saying the same thing over and over, but keep doing the same things over and over again. They'd cry out to God. God would be merciful and help them. He would raise up what we call the judges, and you'd have people like Gideon and, 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 and Shemgar and Ehud and Ophniel and all these 
different ones come up and they would free the people from, from the captivity of the Philistines or the Am Amorites or the Jebusites or the Canaanites. They'd free them and as long as the judge was living, the Bible said Israel would be at peace. But as soon as the preacher died, as soon as the Sunday school teacher stopped teaching, as soon as the worship team dissipated, as soon as we went on isolation from COVID, boy I'm going to go somewhere today, as soon as everything ceased, all of a sudden we went back to our old ways. See, there's a lot of people pre-COVID, they were in church, they were serving God, they were all, and then when the sabbatical hit, where are they now? Not here. They went back to their old ways. They went back. And see, they were in this cyclical pattern of behavior. But it's, just, it's within the scope of this pattern today that I'm referring to that I want to pick up this story where I just began reading you in Judges 8 and 9. We're introduced to a couple main characters. The first character, you can go back and read about it yourself, is a lady by the name of Deborah. Deborah was a prophetess. She was called at that time period to be one of the leaders. And, and Israel was in captivity under the rule of the Canaanites, of King Jabin of the Canaanites. And he had, he had basically made life miserable. And so Deborah gets a word from God to call a guy out by the name of Barak. And Barak was literally, his design was to be, to gather into himself an army to go fight for the people of God. And so that's how we meet the second player in the story, Barak. And so we first, before I can really get in the nuts and bolts, the first thing we need to talk about is some of the things that go on with Barak. See, some people, when you talk about they have them pegged, some people can't get over things because they're insecure within themselves. And we're going to talk about, it still ties into when you've got him pegged. There are some people you can just tell by looking at them, they ain't okay. You don't have to know all the details. You, can, you know, insecurity is one of those things that some people can hide it really well, but other people, you, can't, you can just see it. They're scared. They're scared to take the lead. They're scared, you know, if they're doing a project, they're constantly asking the person, did I do a good job? Did I do a good job? Is that right? Did I, is, that, is, that the right is that the right size? They're constantly looking for affirmation. Why? Because they're missing something. They're not secure within themselves. They're looking for someone to affirm what they're doing or who they are. Barak was very insecure. Well, how do you know he was insecure, Pastor? Well, I just read it to you. Barak says, I am not going unless you go. Now, now I'm going to get myself in trouble. I wish my wife was here to save me because at least she could, she's prettier than I am and you won't shoot at her. But 99.9% of the time, a man is not going to ask for help. That's good preaching even if we're not Church of God today. Men just typically don't ask for help. Honey, do you know we have passed by this gas station, the same gas station three times? Don't you think by now maybe we should stop and ask the locals at the gas station? I know where I am going. I can read a map. I got it. I got it. Well, honey, well, how about I put it on GPS? I don't need GPS. I've driven this road so many times before GPS was in existence. I know exactly which oak tree to turn by. Except they cut that oak tree down and put Dollar General. So you don't know which oak tree it is now. That oak tree is now aisle five with bread at Dollar General. The reality of it is most of the time guys don't ask for direction or ask for help. So how do I... What does this tell me? It tells me Barack was not, because you got to remember, in that society, back in that day, it was a very mycogenic society. It was a male-driven society. Women didn't really say much. They didn't hold jobs. They, they were kind of, you know, if you will, looked at. I'm not saying that it's the right thing, but, but they were looked at almost as a lesser, if you will, of species at the time. They just looked. That's the way they kind of were just. Uh, so for a guy to say to a lady, I'm not doing it unless you're doing it, that's pretty insecure. 
in that society, that was a red flag. Because most of the guys would have been like, I look, you're so beautiful, you're so, t- um, why don't you stay at home, I got this. For a guy to be like, I'm not going, I'm not going unless you go. Yeah, that's, that's a mama's boy. That's a mama's boy. We'll call that what it is. Insecure. That's the guy who's 40, still living with mom because he can't remember what he did with his underwear last night. And he doesn't know. He's waiting for mama to wash them for him. That's insecurity. Scared to go to the laundromat alone so they let mom wash their clothes. You know, I, 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 uh, I told my mom and dad one time, I said, mom, I'm going to live with y'all until I, until, I go, until I get old. And she said, no, you're not because I'll move. I said, what do you mean? She said, I'll give you the house and I'll move because you're not living with me. But I, when, you get, when you get out of college, you better hope you got a job and you got a place to live because if you come back to this house, your dad and I will move and you can have the house, but we will not be here. She said, upon your graduation, your dad and I are going to take you out of graduation party. When you go out and hang out with your friends, your dad and I are going to hurry up and go back home, get all our stuff out of the house and start traveling, and we're just going to send you postcards. By the time you receive the postcards, we'll be in another location. You'll never find us, so you can't track us down. And I, to this day, I still believe she would have it had it not been for my father. I still believe that would happen. But the reality of it is we see in this moment Barak is insecure in who he is. He's terrified. You see, he's insecure with who he was as a man. He was insecure in what he knew God had called him to do. He was insecure in terms of the task that lied before him. Everywhere he turned, he felt this anxiety of heart. An average person's anxiety was brought. Somebody did a study one time of what breaks down breaks down the top reasons people are anxious. So I'm just giving some of these. An average person's anxiety is focused on 40% of their anxieties are focused on things that will never happen. They're just afraid they'll happen, but they never come to fruition. 40% of them. 30% of a person's anxieties is focused on things. About the past, they'll never be able to go back and do again. But they're still stressed about it. So we're already up to 70% of your anxieties has to do with things that will never happen or things that are outside of your control. You can never do. So 70% of people's insecurities, anxieties, most of the time, 70% of them, there's nothing they can do about it. They're worried about nothing they can do. It won't change. 12% is about the criticism received by others but it's actually mostly untrue. So not only do you have 70% of insecurities of things you can't control, you're now up at 82% of things that you not only can control, but most of it ain't even factual. 82% of your anxieties. 10% are about their health and worry and stress. And only 8% are about real problems they'll ever actually face in their life. So 100%, the the psychology journal that did this study said out of 100% of anxiety, you had 100% anxiety, of it, only 8% is actually things you really have to face and deal with. The other 80, 90% of that is things you are outside of your control. There's no, no matter how much you worry, no matter how much you, there's just nothing you'll be able to do. That's why the Bible tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord, for He cares for us, because there are some things in life we cannot do 
he's the only one that can do anything about it. So why should old Andre Crouch say, why should I worry? And why should I fret? My God has never failed me yet. I've got confidence. God will see me through no matter what the case may be. I know he'll fix it for me. There are a lot of things in our lives. The White House ain't going to fix it. President Trump won't fix it. President Biden won't fix it. The government won't fix it. The, the economy's not going to fix it. Sometimes the church is not going to fix it. The pastor's not going to fix it. Sometimes the, the counselor's not going to fix it. The medicine's not going to fix it. The drug's not going to fix it. The alcohol's not going to fix it. The, the self-help book's not going to fix it. The only thing that absolutely 100% is effective and works is not a prescription, not a drug, not a not an alcoholic beverage, not, not a counselor or a pastor. The only thing that is sure and steadfast is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can 100% change it, turn it around, fix it. If you give it to Jesus, you have nothing to worry about. Why worry about the things of tomorrow? Let tomorrow worry about themselves. If the Lord takes thought of the grass of the field and clothes them with dew each morning and gives the birds of the air the fresh food every day, even so, how much does your heavenly Father care about you? You can worry all you want to and stress all you want to, but the only way you'll ever find true peace in this life is when you give it back to Jesus, the one who took it to the cross, and he nailed it and said, it is finished, I've done it, it's all taken care of at this point. Done. It's done. Arthur Summers wrote, uh, wrote said this, Anxiety is the thin stream of fear trickling throughout one's mind. If encouraged, it changes into a channel which all other thoughts end up being drowned. He says it starts out small, but the more you feed it, the worse it gets. Worry. All throughout the Bible, we find people who worried. Abraham was afraid. He told his wife to lie and say they were sisters and brothers because he didn't want them to know because he was afraid. Moses was insecure because he couldn't talk properly. He had a speech impediment. Gideon was afraid. He was insecure. He said, God, you don't understand. I'm the least of the tribe of Israel, and I'm the least of the least of my own family. God, who am I to help? I'm not anybody. I can't do this. David had anxieties all throughout the Psalms. We hear him crying out to the Lord. Many of the increased and trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many of they say, so there's a, many times David, when he's running for his life from Saul or running from his life from his own son, Esther, many times David felt overwhelmed. But he still is a man after God's own heart. The apostle Paul, oh, he had insecurities. He called himself the chief of all sinners. He said, I prayed to God three times to take away this thorn in my flesh. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you in, my, my, you know, in your time of weakness. And, and, and Apostle Paul said, I, I, just, I struggled in his own insecurities. The list could continue on. George Mueller said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith will lead to the end of anxiety. Because if I'm worrying about it, I'm not trusting God in response. But if I trust God, then I don't have to worry about it. You say, Pastor, you don't understand. I, I got a lot on my plate. You may do. But I'll just be thankful you got a God who can handle all things on your plate. Nothing overwhelms Him. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says this, Cast your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The enemy would like nothing more than to use your own insecurities and self-worth issues to cripple you from becoming and believing God for what's best for you and what he has for you to accomplish. Just because you may feel like you don't measure up, the cross gave you new empowerment. 
to overcome such thoughts and be transformed by the renewing of your mind to know that God has great things in store for your life. Jesus nailed that stuff to the cross. Then we find a guy that's intimidated. Not only is he insecure, he's intimidated. Throughout, y'all, for time's sake, I'm not going to read, but through verse 9 through verse 16, we find this. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure if, if we truthfully, truthfully were honest in this house today, there's many of us that at times in our lives we felt intimidated in a certain situation or circumstance. Maybe you clammed up or melted in insecurities and intimidations at the arrival and presence of someone. Listen, I don't, I'm not normally, you know, one that really gets embarrassed. I'm pretty much in the embarrassment, not worried about getting embarrassed. My wife is the opposite. She's the one worried about getting embarrassed. She's not the cause of the embarrassment. But some people are intimidating. Like my father-in-law, he's intimidating. I really hope he doesn't watch this service today. I hope he's in church right now. And I hope he never streams this, but, you know, he's intimidating. He is, it's like a walking dictionary. It's like an encyclopedia of knowledge. It makes me want to throw up. He's smart. I don't like smart people. I feel dumb. I used to think I was smart because I have a master's degree. And then and then he'll say things, and I think, talk to humans, man. This is not artificial intelligence. Talk to people who are normal. Don't let me use it. I tell that to my wife. She'll come home. Oh, well, I have a such and such stentinosis, Marty Oliver. And I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, well, I have some leakage in my brain. Start there. I can't pronounce these words. I can't pronounce. I'm like, you make me feel like a moron. I can't even pronounce the words, much less know what they mean. If I can't spell it, I'm not using it. So if it's over five letters, I'm not talking. Six letters gets a little shaky. The reality, and if you start putting silent letters in there to add extra letters, I really get in trouble. Because I don't know which vowel I'm supposed to to, uh, emphasize in that word. But the reality of it is, some people are intimidating. I can sit in a room with him. With everybody talking, it feels fine. But if I'm ever left alone, I'm like, oh, God. It doesn't matter what we talk about. I'm the idiot in the room, and he's going to know more than that. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to talk. He's, he knows about cars. He knows about computers. He knows about media. He knows about finances. He all this stuff. I mean, I've talked to him about sports. I thought, well, you know what? I'm a coach. I'm sports. That man don't even like sports, and he knew more about stuff than I did in sports. And I thought, get a real job and leave me alone. Intimidated. Now, for some of y'all, y'all may not feel this way. That's fine. But I'm going to tell you something else. My dad, I could do anything all day with my dad. I could walk into a room with my dad. I could go to a place with my dad. I could go eat lunch with my dad. I could do anything with my dad, and I don't feel nothing. My mom walks into the room, and I freak out. I know it's hard to believe that she's an intimidating factor, but she's intimidating. She intimidates other people who are not her family. She intimidates other people's kids who don't even know who she is. She can take her glasses and let him just follow the bridge of her nose right here where she broke her nose playing softball and look over the top and all hell stops because even the devil says, mm-mm, ain't messing with that woman today. She is too big for me. He, the devil don't even want to mess with that woman. He's intimidated by her. She's scary. She flat out is. I can remember in church I could be doing something or whatever. My mom would never say something. She'd just go. And I thought, God, let the rapture come because if I does, you don't come. I'm in trouble when I get home. She's intimidated. You see, we all have people like that in our lives. I remember watching, I used to love watching the Rocky Balboa movie. I know many of you may have never watched the Rocky boxing, but I loved it. One of my favorite Rocky movies, with Sylvester Stallone, is Rocky IV. Rocky IV is, he is introduced to a Russian phenom known as Ivan Drago. 
big old guy, massive, tall, ripped, lean muscle, and everybody he beats, he pretty much brings their brain solid out unconscious. He doesn't lose. In fact, he ends up unintentionally but beating Apollo Creed to death in a boxing ring in an exhibition match. I mean, he just is a bad dude. And Rocky thinks he wants to take him on. And everybody's like, Rocky, you understand, son. This dude's a bad man pajama. He will hurt you. And Rocky's like, I know he's big. I, I know Adrian. Adrian, Adrian, Adrian. I can do it, Adrian. I can do it. And she's like, please, Rock, don't do it, Rock. I mean, well, Adrian, Adrian, I can do it for myself. I can, I can do it. And, you know, he's done. And they're all like, Rocky, you're going to get your... Even in the movie, they're like, Rocky, throw in the towel. Quit. You're going to get beat. You're going to lose your brain. Just throw in the towel. And he goes, no, I'm not going to quit. You see, some people were intimidated by Ivan Drago. Rocky said, it doesn't matter. I can beat the guy. I know I can beat the guy. Can I tell you, the devil wants you to feel intimidated by his schemes and by his works. But God said, greater is you, he that's in you, than he that's in the world. You don't have to let the devil intimidate you. You can say, but I know I can defeat him. My Bible already tells me I can win. My Bible already says God's for me. Who can be against me? I don't have to worry what's going to happen. I don't have to be intimidated. I already know I can beat what the enemy has coming my way. But Barak, Barak is scared. Sisera's got a large army. Barak only has 10,000 men. He's terrified to fight. So they set up camp. Word gets back to Sisera, captain of Jabin, king of Canaan's armies. So Sisera starts devising his game plan to come attack. At the same time, Deborah tells Barak, says, get your 10,000 men and let's go to battle. And he's thinking, this is a bad idea. Well, okay. And the Bible says, uses the word routes. The Bible says the Lord routed the armies of Sisera. I mean, he beat the brains out of these people. I mean, he just tore them up. That's my kind of, that's my kind of preacher. I'd like that. I don't like the Lord to do this. And the Lord was very calm and tranquil. He let them rest. And, no, I like God to beat the mess out of them. Let my, in, if, let my enemies be scattered, Lord. Go out there and just beat, beat them to a merciless pulp. And let me stand there and go, that's God. Look at him. I like, he's on my team. And I like that, those kinds of stories in the Bible. I mean, he routes them. He doesn't just beat them. He smokes them. I like that in sports. I don't want the team to win by one point. That's too close. I want to beat by 30 points. I want to smoke him. I want to be able to win by why? He routes him. Sisera bails. He's like, oh, I'm about to die. This is a bad idea. And the Bible says he takes off running. Runs away. Barak and his company try to pursue him, but they can't find him. Can I tell you that when the Lord is on your side, the enemy can be scheming up whatever battle plans he has for your life, but God's got a plan on the other side of the hill. God's plans is to prosper you and not to harm while the enemy's is to harm you. The Bible says that what the enemy means for evil, God can make good. Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against me in judgment shall be condemned. The heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith the God. The enemy's sinister schemes and divisive plans are no match for an omnipotent, all-powerful, and an omniscient, all-knowing God. Isaiah 59 and 19, for they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and hear of the glory of the rising sun. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, 
the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. What the enemy wants to do, he may try to do, but he can't do because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to God for the pulling down of strongholds. When Jesus went to the cross and said, It is finished, he wasn't just talking to God the Father, but he was telling the devil simultaneously every plan that you've had, every sinister scheme you've had, every divisive plan you had, it is finished. I have done it. I have conquered it. I have beat it. There's nothing you're going to be able to do because my people, which are called by my name, they're going to be a remnant. They're going to survive. They're going to triumphant. They're going to be triumphant. When God does it, he does it right all the way through. Now I'm going to finish with this. The last part of this story is the someone gets indisposed. What does that mean? They got, they got discarded, thrown away. This is my favorite part of the story. I know you've all been waiting why this story is so good because the first part sounds kind of boring. No, now is when the murders start happening. This is exciting. Blood. We're having a murder mystery now. Let's join this together. I'll go through it quickly. So Cicero's plan was to defeat Israel and keep them enslaved. God's plan was to overthrow the enemy. Cicero flees and he comes to the house of Heber the Kenite. Heber his family were descendants of a guy that you may have never heard of before, but a guy by the name of Moses. They were kin to a guy by the name of Moses. He's a very insignificant Bible player. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, but other than that, he's not really important. But Moses was directly related to these guys. But Heber had found favor in the sight of Jabin, king of Canaan, so the king of Canaan didn't really mess with him on that side of town. He just kind of let him do his own thing. So I read that and I thought, you know what that means to me as the child of God? God can give us favor even in the midst of the enemy's camp. So even when the enemy surrounds me, even when the old song says, I think it's Michael David Smith said, even when it looks like I'm surrounded, actually, Lord, I'm surrounded by you. I can be standing in the enemy's camp, take back what he stole from me. The enemy can have me all in surround all he wants to, but God can give me favor even in the territory of my enemies. Jaber has a wife we call Yael. Yael sees this guy running across, and she thought, oh, I've seen that guy before. That's Cicero. And so she said, hey, why don't you come inside? He said, I'm exhausted. Battle's not going the way I thought it was going to go. And she said, why don't you lay down? Let me give you a blanket. It's cashmere. It's very soft. Very, it's warm. It's microfiber. Why don't you lay down? Are you, are you thirsty? I'm exhausted. Yes, I'd love a drink of water. I said, how about I give you some? But maybe milk, I didn't know. Yeah, that's actually better. Keep bringing these snacks. A lot of people say jug. That's chugging, son. Jug of milk, that's a chug of milk. That's a lot of milk. You can drink a gallon in about a week. This joke, he's getting a jug. He gets some milk. He lays down. He pulls the blanket. Miss Carol, make your way so I don't kill myself in this process. He makes his way. And everything, when you get a blanket, a good glass of milk, there's this thing that happens. It's called sleep. It shows up. And all of a sudden, you just feel relaxed. He lays there, and he says, you know what, Yael? Would you do me a favor? I just need a cat nap. Will you stand at the tent and just watch, be a watchman? If you see anybody coming, they ask where I'm at. Don't tell them. Just, just let them run on by. Just watch for me. And I say, tell you today, you better be careful of allowing yourself to get cozy with the enemy. Let me say that one more time. You better be careful allowing yourself to get cozy with the enemy. Sisera thought, oh, I'm good. I'm good. That's what Samson said too with Delilah. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. 
until the Lila got a pair of hair cutters or the trimmers and just keep his hair off. The reality of it is you got to be careful. The enemy wants you to get cozy with him and feel good. Do all those things. He gets good and fast asleep. Snoring. Talking in his sleep. Catching all the Z's that are going by. This is my kind of woman. That's why I married one like this. Brianna would do the same thing. It's awesome. Brianna's rugged. She's she I, I have a nickname for her. She'll tell you can ask her at church. I call her the bulldog. She is tenacious. She is small, but she is mighty and ferocious. She gets upset or she is passionate about something, she sticks with it. I, on the other hand, like, yeah, okay, whatever. She no 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 no. It is not whatever. She's game on. This is, she's like Yael. Yael says, huh. Barak and the armies of Israel, which who we are aligned with because we're the family of Moses, they are beating Sisera's army. But Sisera is right here. Oh my, what should I do today? Gave him a blanket, check. Gave him some milk, check. How about some facial reconstruction? Check. And she grabs a tent peg, like down the screen, and a hammer. She's not doing art. She's not doing wall decor. She's not hanging her Jim Booth or Madeline Madeline Carroll print on the wall. She's nailing her. She's nailing the man to the wall. <laughs> Reality of it is, she's got him pegged, literally. She takes it and she puts it right here and she goes to because she um, well she she pretty much stakes uh, stakes him to the ground with the peg. That's rugged. I mean that's rough. That's rugged. That's a real walk. I mean that's a rough situation. You know what happens? Here comes old Buddha. Yael, Yael, we're looking for sister. We're looking for sister. We're looking for sister. Yeah, have you seen him? We've been chasing him. We beat the young. Where, where's he at? She's like, Mommy, you should ask. I have seen him. Let me show you where he's at. She walks him in the house, brings him to the guest room, pulls back the curtain, and goes, he's right there. I even staked him down for you so he couldn't get away. I didn't want the wind to blow him away, so I just I just anchored him in the ground for you. Go ahead and take him out. He's yours. She basically beat him, killed him with a spike. You say, well, pastor, that's kind of a morbid story. Yeah. Kind of is, kind of cool, but kind of is, yes. But can I tell you that it's always been the plan of the enemy to dispose of you and destroy you? He's wanted to kill your dreams, your callings, your marriages, your families, your purposes, your plans. But God always has a bigger, better, and mightier plan for your life. And what the enemy wants to do, God does not want to have happen to you. While Barak was called to do the will of God... Due to his own insecurities, anxieties, and doubts, he missed out on a greater blessing that he could have received from God. And someone else received his reward. Too many people lose out on their blessings and become more defeated by the enemy because they are crippled by themselves. The enemy specializes in making you your own worst enemy. Due to the redemptive work of Christ and Calvary's cross, 
Can I admonish you today? Don't let the reason that you miss out on the blessings of God be because the enemy is the one that did it to you. Place your fears, your failures, your insecurities, your anxieties at his feet and trade your brokenness and heaviness for a yoke that is easier and a burden that is much lighter. So today, here's how I want to pray for you today. Those watching online, we love you. Thank you for joining us. God bless you today. For everyone in this house today, here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Obviously, I never want anybody to leave here who doesn't know Jesus Christ.